It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty. Right before we go buy more snow shovels than ice melt and uh, I guess get trapped in our houses for another weekend. So that'll be great. Yeah, I was we were I was just complaining to Gabe last night about having to shovel my driveway. If I have to do that again, I might just move. Yeah, it, uh, they call this adulting. It's uh, <laughs> it's not the most fun thing in the world. Um, so Missouri goes on the road this weekend in basketball. We think they'll actually make it this time, maybe on time. Uh, looking for their first win since before the last time we did this. Remember, like sixteen days ago, when we thought. Hey, maybe they could go 500 and go to the NCAA tournament. I think I think we uh, I think we got a little bit spoiled or, or with some some wins over some questionable opponents in non-conference play. Uh, Xavier, they they beat Xavier in Illinois, and and obviously uh, you know some people thought maybe okay you know maybe uh, maybe they're going to exceed expectations. You know the SEC's down a little bit, but uh, here we are now. They're winless in the SEC. They've uh, they, they've gotten beat by double digits in all three games, and it's not looking super pretty. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I think we because it had been so long since they beat Illinois. Like we came out of that game thinking that meant something. That meant nothing. Illinois is a horrendous basketball team. Yeah, they're not good. I mean, it it meant something in the sense that like, you know, that they didn't go another year with losing right. Illinois. They broke that streak, but yes, it did not actually show us anything about the abilities of this Mizzou team. So, since then, I don't know, 20 some odd lost to Tennessee. A uh, 10-point loss to South Carolina in which it never really seemed after the first eight minutes that they had a chance to win. And then uh, I, I didn't look up how how long it was like that Alabama led. but Alabama led for 35 minutes, I believe, last The night. last 35 minutes, yeah. pretty much. Alabama took the lead and Missouri never got it back. Yes. So, I, I mean, there was no point in that game where, where you ever felt like – I mean, Missouri got back within four – and then immediately, I, I thought the the game changing play was Jeremiah Tillman gets a rebound, throws it just directly to an Alabama guy at the free throw line. They hit, they score, and the game was pretty much over at yeah. that point. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the fans had just started to get back into it. I think that was after Mark Smith had a four point play and Torrance yeah. Watson had a three point play, and then yeah, Tillman had a, a very questionable turnover, and that yeah. that led to a fast break bucket. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's the the thing. One of my takeaways from last night was like. Alabama is not particularly good, and it's not like they played right. all that well last night. But still, it never felt like Mizzou had a real chance. They just—I mean, they kind of—you know—you don't want to say got dominated in a ten-point loss, but they kind of yeah. did. They—they they felt like they never had a chance. Yeah, I wrote that Alabama wasn't very good, and Missouri was more not good. Yeah, I, I mean that was not about anybody. And I think Saturday is going to be the same. Whichever bad team is less bad mm-hmm. is going to win between Missouri and A&M. Like the. I, I don't know. This is like a five and thirteen team in the SEC now, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you don't assume they're gonna they're gonna find many wins on the road. And I mean, if you can't beat you know Alabama and South right. Carolina, those are those are two of the not good teams in the league. <laughs> Although South Carolina looks decent, they're, they're, right they're playing now, well. They yeah. are four and zero in the league. That's um, true. So okay, let's address first of all the uh, one of the biggest problems, and then we'll get to the ridiculousness of the overreaction. Uh, so. Jeremiah Tillman, I've got a couple. Like, last night was better. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he, I, I thought, played well in the second half outside of that turnover. Uh, it was like once he got to the second half and only had two fouls, he thought, oh, I can play now. And I felt vindicated because Conzo did exactly what I thought he should do, which is 
No, you're going to go play with two fouls because you sitting on the bench makes us a worse team. So you're just going to go play, and if we lose you, we lose you. Yeah, I thought Conzo handled it fairly well. It's not like he, he didn't keep him in, you know, right after he committed his second foul. He took him out, gave him a few minutes to calm down, which we've seen this season is is, is a good strategy and pretty much any time he picks up a foul. Um, and, and then put him back in there a little bit in the first half. Conzo even said that Tillman at one point uh, in the second half asked to come out because he didn't feel like he was playing well. And Conzo said, no, you got to, you know, this is the only way you're going to learn. You have to just, you know, go out there. And, and as he said, the next step, is you know getting to the point where where Tillman's not thinking about fouls even when he's not committing them because you could see I mean on defense last night there were many times where you know Dante Hall or someone would get the ball in the post and Tillman would just raise his hand straight up and turn sideways and just let him go right past him and like you know that that was I mean that was a huge factor I thought in the game Alabama scored whenever it wanted by the rim absolutely so let's deal with with that part of this which is the not fun part for Tillman which is I think we've now hit a point that the coach is kind of throwing his arms up in the air. Like, coaches don't come out and tell you after the game, yeah, he wanted to come out and I wouldn't let. That's not a thing a coach says after a game. And I talked to Dave Matter, who was the only guy who actually braved the elements and went to South Carolina, and he said, I gave Conzo an opening after that game and said, was was that just Chris Silva, a veteran guy, kind of baiting a younger guy? And, and Conzo said, no, this is what Jeremiah does. Like, Chris Silva does that to everybody, and Jeremiah now does this every game. Like, he's at the point now where he's like, I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to be honest with you guys. And I think there's some clear frustration there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think everyone's frustrated. You know, he's the most talented player on the, on the team, and he's a really important player because of the lack of depth behind him. And here we are a year and a half into his tenure, and it's the same thing. I mean, we talked about this exact same stuff last year. When he's not fouling, he's too – too scared to foul and he plays passive and that hurts the rest of the team and you know you'll get these you know the occasional games where you know it almost makes it more frustrating because then you're like oh if you could just do this every night like you know the game he had against Xavier then it's like you know they'd be a, a really good team so yeah I mean I think I think Conzo kind of just wants to you know let let people know like I am trying uh, <laughs> right I've done everything I can at a certain point it's got to click for this kid, and I don't know what more I can do. Except, obviously, he hasn't punched an official. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, but, you know, there are there are a couple kind of different ways you can be angry with a player to me. And, like, there have been guys over the years. Ryan Rossberg caught, caught so much hell from Missouri fans, and I was just like, guys, the, like, he's getting the most out of what he's got. Right. He's just that's the level of player he is. Like, you shouldn't be mad at a guy who's getting everything out of what he has. Now, I understand being frustrated with Jeremiah Tillman, who clearly is not getting everything out of what he has. However, on the flip side, it is not Jeremiah Tillman's fault that they have nothing behind him. Like, yeah. it's not his fault. He is so important to this team. Yeah, and not only do they have nothing behind it, but this is a team that wants to play inside out. I mean, that was the whole plan, right. you know, with John Tay Porter in the lineup, and you can still see that's what they want to do. They want to throw the ball inside and have a post player score, kick it out to the shooters. And, you know, when he's playing, you know, 20 minutes a game or less and, and he's, you know, thinking about fouling, I mean, it just doesn't work. And last night, too, you know, you could see so many times on the offensive end, it's like a double would come and he'd have to take a conscious moment to stop and think, yeah. okay, how do I do this without fouling? And 
and then he'd like get it stripped or you know shoot up an air ball and turn the wrong way it's it, you know it's just like it, it's he's in a tough spot i mean obviously you know i'm I think he clearly has, has a lot of improving to do to yeah. to kind of get take himself out of these situations. But but yeah, I mean, I think what was the stat you you put it in your story? Kevin Perrier, Reed, Nico, KJ, Santos, and Mitchell yeah. Smith combined for like nine points in forty five minutes. Nine points, like nine rebounds in forty two minutes, yeah. and that's that's the the solution to this is not on this team. The solution mm-hmm. to this is rehabbing a torn ACL. Yeah. Um, and without Jonte, there isn't a solution. The solution is a. Don't foul, mm-hmm. but be really good. And then the other solution is, I don't know, go small and hope. Yeah. But, I, I mean, there were times in that game where Xavier Pinson or Javon Pickett or somebody was getting caught on yeah. a guy that was five inches bigger. Yeah. You can't stop that. Yeah, no, they they did go small a few times. They would have Pinson, Mark Smith, Geist, and Pickett all in the game at the same time. And, uh, and and yeah, there was one time Geist was getting posted up by Herb Jones. One time Pickett was guarding Alex Reese, who's like 6'9", right. or I mean, a Pinson was, sorry. And, like, yeah, I mean, you got no hope there. And, and like, that was the whole, you know, thing I took away from it is, you know, for the third straight game, they got outscored by 10-plus points in the paint, and they lost. Like, they, they, they can't afford to give up those kind of easy points because they can't score enough points. Right. This team is going to have to shoot 55% from three-point range to beat even average teams in the SEC. Yeah, basically. And so it is what it is. So let's get to the overreaction. I mean, I saw the, this looks like a Kim Anderson team. So first of all, let's say this. If Conzo wins one more game, (laughs) he has matched the most wins Missouri ever had under Kim Anderson. So let's kind of shut that up right now. Yeah, likely likely we'll find a win somewhere down the stretch here. (laughs) They're going to beat somebody in the last 15 games of the season. So, no, it's not that bad. It's not good. But, like, again, this is what we talked about. I, I went back. I was just reading some old stuff a couple days ago. Literally the day they lost to Florida State, what I wrote was, okay, this was fun, but now this is where the rebuild starts. Mm-hmm. Like, year one was a just crazy confluence of circumstances where it went from awful to let's go all in and get everything we can, but you knew that wasn't sustainable. So this is really year one of coming off 27 and 68. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and you know, it, he you got kind of a nice bonus piece, and, and Tilbert being in year two, but obviously, you know, he we've we've talked at length about that. He's he's still not quite at the point you would think a second year player would be, and you know, I mean, you you know, you you want to some some people maybe get upset with with the coaching staff for not bringing in another big guy and, and having the lack of depth there. And, and I can I can sort of understand fair. that, but at the same time, you thought going into this year that you'd have right. you know Jonte Porter and. and Kevin Perrier playing a different role might be a much more effective player. I mean, you know, if and, he's not being asked to to play, you know, 35 minutes guarding a guy who's five inches taller than him, he he might be a better player. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I just I think I think sometimes last season did, like you said, just kind of affected people's expectations. And, and now we're kind of back to reality. I, I think there's one thing that I'm not going to blame them for yet, but it's at least fair to say if you're blaming the staff as far as personnel and what this team is, is were they wrong on K.J. Santos? Yeah. Because they're counting on him to do something that he hasn't yet done. He's supposed to be that guy behind Jeremiah Tillman. Right now, he's not. Whether that's health, whether he's not good enough, who knows. Will he be by the end of the year? Will he be by next year? That's where you can have a problem and and I think be maybe end up being right yeah absolutely and you, you never like you know you never want to substitute one for one and like recruiting what ifs but i i mean i remember like you know they 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 
kind of seem to pr- prefer him over some pretty highly touted guys like Talon Horton Tucker comes to mind. I don't mm-hmm. know if they'd land him, but like right. Kader Santos hasn't been nearly as good as Talon Horton Tucker. And we'll see what happens if he can stay, stay healthy. But I mean, I've, I know Missouri fans have been optimistic. I've seen nothing really from him that suggests that that he could be a major upgrade I mean, over Kevin Perrier. He's relatively athletic. Yeah. So it, that's there. Um, you know, and again, we're not burying KJ Santos. Like he's he's basically played six games in two years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that can change. But it, the point is, like, I understand after every loss, it has to be the coach's fault and mm-hmm. we have to figure out why. We took over like Literally, there. It's not an exaggeration to say this was one of the four or five worst Power Five programs yeah. in the country when he got here, and uh, you know, like stomping his feet and yelling and all that. Like that's not going to change this. Yeah, and, that's my that's my biggest pet peeve right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and I wrote last night. Like I was really struck, and and I asked a couple of you guys afterwards to make sure I read this. The the that you guys read it the same way I did. I don't think Conzo was angry. I, yes, he'd like to be better. He'd like to be winning more. But he struck me very much as a coach that fully understands the team he has right now, and it's probably not a team that's capable of being a whole lot better than it's been. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, for one thing, I will say he's always been pre- usually pretty mellow after losses. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's not going to give the the Barry Odom speech post-Auburn or anything like that. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, he he was he actually gave some great answers last night was really like really specific in explaining, you know, where things kind of went wrong on each end of the floor and, you know, how Alabama took away Jordan Geist and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, like he was very measured. I I think he just kind of was trying to, to almost break it down for us. Like, look, like here's uh here's here's why why we're not able to win this type of game right. if they're gonna guard geist with a six seven guy and we aren't gonna hit 53s like this was right. gonna happen but yeah i did have to touch on my one recent pet peeve of you know people saying uh that that Conso martin needs to get more animated or more upset with the officials to to defend jeremiah tillman for one thing i've been looking especially last night just because this has been a hot topic and he talks to the officials a lot all the time for another thing yeah. i just i'm firmly convinced that that for those people who who want this, who want to see the you know the screaming and the stomping of the feet, you just want him to mirror your emotions. Like you're yes. you're frustrated, that's fine. Jeremiah Tillman could be a frustrating player, but you just want someone to do the same as you. And like and, that's I don't I just don't think that actually is going to make a difference. And how many Missouri fans for ten years watching Frank Martin have gone? I would be ashamed if my coach <laughs> acted like that. Yeah. But now that Frank Martin wins, mm-hmm. you want your coach. You know, so it's. I, I, and we'll wrap this up with, I understand patience is not a word that exists for 2019 time of Twitter sports fan. That's not a thing. But I, I'm just going to say this. If we're here in two years, that's a big problem. Yeah, absolutely. And Conzo's not the right guy. Mm-hmm. But you've got to wait two years to know. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And, uh, you know, like the, the 2020 recruiting class will, you know, maybe provide a glimpse. And we're, we're starting to get there. You know, you're, you're, you're three and four are kind of the the benchmark years but yeah i mean like right now i you know Conzo knows it and, and i think we all kind of should have known it as soon as the jonte porter entry happened like this, this team's not talented enough to to win half its games in the sec and i think the frustrating part is when missouri joined the sec in in 2011 uh, like you looked at it and you go you know what if they're seven and five in football every year like i get that mm-hmm. that this is the sec but you looked at sec basketball at that time and said there is no reason this can't be the second or third best program in the league. Yeah. And it just hasn't in 
it, even in one year been anywhere close to being that. Yeah, absolutely true. I, I, I think since they've joined the SEC, I'll look at this at some point in the next few days. But I would venture to say since Missouri has joined the SEC, I'd bet they're somewhere around 11th or 12th as far as winning percentage. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, the, I mean, they were they were they never were 14, they were three years in a row. Yeah, they were never better than last for for three years there. So that that kind of weighs them down. Uh, the yeah. No, I think you're right. The the 2012 season that was the first year in the SEC, right? Yeah, and they were the, and like, they were good, uh, they pretty were good, decent. right? Decent. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like I think maybe they made either, they were like an eight they, they were like an, an eight or a nineteen yes. eight, so in the tournament. They played Colorado State yeah. that year because I went to Lexington twice in like three weeks. <laughs> yeah, okay, so maybe not as good as I remembered. But yeah, no, you're decent. right. I mean, they no, yeah, they that certainly have not been you know top four or anywhere near that. We are going to switch gears now, talk a little college football, because there is no longer ever an offseason in college football. We're going to bring in Josh McQuistian. He covers the University of Oklahoma for Sooner Scoop on the Rivals Network. Uh, Josh, what's going on, man? Not much, you know. Like always, when I whenever I do a radio thing, I can't help but feel like, yeah, it's just a slow time of year for me. But this yeah. year has been obscene since even the end of the bowl game. Yeah, there is never a slow time anymore, and we'll get back to this a little bit later. But uh, my first question is just, what the hell is Jalen Hurts thinking? Like, does Oklahoma have some good history with quarterbacks that he thinks he's going to play well there? It is a really off-the-wall decision for him. <laughs> with the transfer market, it just hasn't been good to Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley has kind of shown himself to be a little shaky as an offensive coordinator. So there's, there's not a lot to grab onto, but obviously a big get for Oklahoma. All right, we'll, we'll get back to that in a little bit. But I, a big Missouri flavor now to the Oklahoma – it's kind of funny. I mean, Barry Odom hired a ton of guys that had OU ties, and now Lincoln Riley brings in Alex Grinch, who is Gary Pinkle's nephew and, uh, you know, started here way back when as a GA. And a, as far as the offseason coaching hires go, I, I think this one has kind of gotten an A across the board. I mean, Alex Grinch is viewed as, uh, in not too many years, a head coach, don't you think? Yeah, you know, it's interesting now we live in this era, both in the NFL and college, where it's so clearly everybody wants that next offensive genius and blah, blah, blah. And you've got to think at some point the worm turns and it starts to, you know, they start realizing you do still have to play defense. You can't just throw it to the win. I mean, there's a reason Oklahoma with two of the best offenses in college football history the last couple of years hasn't gotten out of the semifinals. I mean, you still have to have some semblance. And that's what's – this hire was interesting to me because when you look at it, there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it as the challenge of, oh, man, it's really tough to be a defensive coordinator in the Big 12. That's where a lot of good careers, you know, I guess you would say seemingly because of Manny Diaz. Everyone thought he died when he left Texas, and now he's <laughs> the head coach of Miami. But at the same time, Alex Grinch with the you know arguably the best talent in the Big 12 – all he has to do is make this a top 45-ish defense. And with that offense, they can compete for national titles, and he's going to be a genius for fixing what was an awful defense. So, I mean, it's kind of how you want to look at it from his perspective. But, again, Oklahoma's personnel is good and young, and I, I really I, I thought he was a hire that made a lot of sense for Oklahoma. Josh Mitchell Forty here. You you kind of uh, touched on 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 one of my questions there, but you know Alex Grinch, obviously he uh, you know, 
he he kind of earned his reputation when he did what he did at Washington State, which is not typically a place you know a lot of people would think of, uh, especially under Mike Leach as a you know a defensive haven. Now going to the Big Twelve, a league that that puts up a lot of points. What like what do you think the the, the fan expectation is for him? You know, he's not obviously going to all of a sudden start pitching shutouts, but what is like looked at as a as a successful you know season or, or regime for him? I think this first year he almost has, you know, it, it is really, it's the, uh, the honeymoon stage where almost anything that shows improvement, like Oklahoma fans at this point are, will, will they tackle and will, I mean, just the basics of football. Can they handle those basic things? And if they can, we're not going to be that upset about it. We can live with everything else. And I think that's where OU fans are going to be. And honestly, this defense uh, from a talent standpoint, from you know where they were as recruits, this is a much more talented unit that, than it's been the last two years. Guys like Ronnie Perkins, that I know a lot of your listeners will be familiar with. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot God, of people just turned this podcast off when you brought his name up. It, exactly. I mean, so there's some good young talent in this defense, and it's going to be about whether they can start to develop these guys because that's kind of – under the previous regime, there was a lot of conversations, and especially in the secondary where Alex Grinch is going to have his focus, that they weren't developing enough players. Um, you would see guys that looked great as freshmen, and by the time they were seniors, they were just shell-shocked. They, they just weren't the guys you thought they were going to be. They probably weren't even as good as them, their freshman version. So it's, it was always kind of hard to explain what was happening. But I think expectations are pretty realistic. Now, if you, know, if you really poll, though, you fans – I would think they're hoping, you know, to be a, I don't know, a top 60 team in total defense. I mean, they, they're not expecting the whole thing to be rebuilt overnight. But, I, you know, from roughly 100th and literally the worst pass defense in college football, they're expecting some growth. But, again, when you're the worst, literally anything you do is going to be better. All right, Josh. So one of the guys he brings in is Brian Odom, who coached outside linebackers here, coaching inside linebackers there. And I want to stress in in getting through this question, like when we all reported last week that Brian Odom was staying at Missouri, we were not wrong. I mean, at that time, that was the expectation of people. I can certainly say inside the Missouri program. I can't say that was necessarily the case at Oklahoma, but they expected him to be staying. Then Sunday night, he takes the job um, at OU. So because my interest in this pretty much ended with, okay, he's gone. I, I don't really care all that much more about why or all that. But do you have a feel for what happened between last Tuesday and last Sunday? You know, and, and I, I want to, to everybody out there, Gabe, Gabe was on top of this story. Gabe helped us a ton as we covered Oklahoma trying to bring Brian Odom into the fold. That's, that's always tricky. You know, when it's one new guy, that's fine. But it's Alex Grinch. It's a bunch of guys that we don't have a connection to yet. So that's always a little trickier. And Gabe was, Gabe was on top of it. And he's absolutely right. When that news broke, was that Wednesday morning of something last like week? That, something yeah. like that. Yeah. When that news broke, it was accurate. From what we had done. Now, the only thing I can say that, that our sources ever contended was that an actual offer was made. And from what I understood, that was much more about we haven't even had a chance to sit down and talk with him yet. But at that point, I was told that Odom had told them, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not going to go down the road as far as the interview. Now, what I have kind of come to understand is that 
as time went on, Alex Grinch continued to work with Brian. Continue, you know, they're old friends from their time at Washington State. There's a really good relationship there. And I think he just continued to sell him on, okay, you can come here. You can come back, you know, play, coach where you played, coach at a school that mattered to you a lot as a kid. I mean, he grew up as an Oklahoma fan. So, I mean, there is some personal feeling for him there. And I think Oklahoma just worked, you know, won him over with that. Obviously, I, I would expect a pay raise was also involved in yeah. this. So, you know, and it's not just Brian. His wife gets to come home. I mean, there, there's a lot of connection to the University of Oklahoma for Brian. And I, I think it was just a matter of really his relationship with Grinch and, you know, a little extra money in his wallet probably were the two deciding factors. Josh, obviously, aside from the uh, the newfound Oklahoma-Missouri connection, there's there's a lot of uh, reasons why Oklahoma's kind of been at the, the center of the college football storylines uh, in the last few weeks. The biggest one perhaps being Kyler Murray deciding to go to the NFL draft. You obviously, you know, you've had a very close look at him uh, in the last year. Do you have a, a, a sense as to uh, what your expectations might be for where he could get drafted? And can he? do you think he can cut it in the NFL if he decides to go that route? You know, he's one of those guys, and, and he will slip because of his size, and I get it. I mean, he'll be uh, – anything higher than eight feels kind of crazy to me. Like, a, I mean, but I mean, I guess, you know, we say that, but like anybody will say, you know, the old cliche, it only takes one. And if one team fell in love with him and took him at fifth, I don't think it's crazy. I, I, and, and I know that that's going to come off sounding like a homer, and I get all of that. Kyler Murray, in a lot of ways, is a better, more gifted passer than Baker Mayfield. Like, I know people are going to go crazy about that. His arm talent is off the charts. Some of the throws he made this year were not just, oh, he was running around and something happened. Like, he has a huge arm. And when you combine that with what he can do with his feet, it, it's it's hard not to think of not just – you know, the, the Lamar Jackson side of it, but he can be a very, very functional NFL passer. The issues to me for him are twofold. The size, it's not just about him seeing around the offensive line. I think that's kind of been proven is you can work around that. You can find ways to make that work. If Lincoln Riley can do it, NFL guys can do it too. I mean, there's ways to get around that because let's face it, Oklahoma had one of the biggest offensive lines of college football last year, and he did just fine. The real concern for me is, how do you design things so he doesn't take a lot of hits yet still manage to take advantage of his ability with his feet? Because Kyler Murray, you can read whatever you want listed. Kyler Murray's about five foot nine and about 175 pounds. He is a little, little guy. We've never, you've never seen an everyday quarterback like him. So there, that's going to be a concern. And then on top of it, does he still want to try baseball? Does he really think he can do both? Because to me, I don't know how you can be a running back and do two. You can do a, you can be a cornerback or receiver. You cannot be a quarterback in the NFL that's worthy of a first round pick that's going to do both. You because you're trying to win a Super Bowl. Are you going to tell me Kyler Murray's so good he can put in half the time as Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or Tom Brady or any of the other greats we want to talk about and not? be there day in and day out. No, that's, that's crazy. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. So he's going to have to make a choice if he wants to do that. And I think he will. I think he'll just go with the NFL. I think that's where his heart is. I think football is what he really loves. And I think more than anything, he loves a chance to prove everybody wrong. So on the quarterback transfer, we alluded to it at the beginning. First off, 
I assume Jalen Hurts does not go to Norman without some assurances that he's the guy next season, right? You know, Riley has always been really cautious about that kind of stuff, but at the same time, I don't think he had to line it out that I mean it didn't it's not a big reach to say yes Jalen Hurts you know two time you know right. uh, I guess guy with nearly thirty college football wins you are likely to beat out Tanner Mordecai a redshirt freshman that was a three star recruit that we only recruited after we lost another player to Texas I mean it's not that big of a reach. Now, I will say, I think Oklahoma really thinks Tanner Mordecai is a good player. And obviously, Spencer Rattler, the nation's number one quarterback, he'll be he'll come in in the summer. But if he was here in the spring, I would think things were a little more interesting. But for him to show up in June and try to overtake a guy with Jay, like Jalen Hurts, I just don't see that. To forget, I think the biggest thing about Jalen Hurts is not just his ability, which is clearly, obviously, there. But I think the thing that I, I think he really brings to Oklahoma is just a leadership, a something they don't have. I mean, this, this is a group that had single-digit uh, seniors coming into the 2019 season before Jalen Hurts jumped on board. So this is a young team that needs somebody that's been there, knows what it takes, can tell, you know, can tell people to shut up in the huddle, do what I'm telling you. They need that kind of guy, and he is that kind of guy. So, I, like I said, I think this is a really good fit from Oklahoma's perspective on several levels. So, uh, kind of along the same lines, Austin Kendall, I don't know when it was two, three weeks ago, announced he was transferring. For about four hours yesterday, Oklahoma was going to prevent him from going to West Virginia. And then, as always happens in these things, as soon as it hit Twitter, uh, Lincoln Riley <laughs> reversed his course. We could all see that. It, why do schools still try to block transfers? Like, just let the kids go where they want to go. You beat me to it. You, why? You know, eventually, whether it's before the fact, after the fact, it's going to become public that you tried to do this. Don't do it. It's a bad look. And I never understand the idea of we we want to try and prevent someone from doing something that we don't want here anyway. Right. Like, you, I mean, it's pretty clear that Oklahoma pursued Jalen Hurts heavily. And that was before the whole thing with Austin Kendall really started to break. So you, you clearly didn't see him as the guy. Don't let him go somewhere else and be like, well, he's a really good player. You can't have that both ways. Mm-hmm. You, you can't say, well, you know, we, we weren't sure we could win with this guy, but he could beat us. No, no <laughs> that doesn't work like that. So I didn't get it. And it really, Lincoln Riley has always struck me as very, very media savvy. He's very good at saying nothing but making sure he doesn't rock the boat, but giving you an honest answer. I mean, he he's very good at walking the line, and I thought this was one of the rare instances where he didn't see how bad that was going to look. And especially, and, I, you know, it, this isn't as interesting to you all as it will be to kind of the Oklahoma market, but how well Austin Kendall's family played that, that that news all broke almost the same time that Jalen Hurts' news was coming out. It was a perfect release, and I know they gave it to multiple outlets. It was, it was just really, really well played by the, uh, I guess, the side you would say opposing Lincoln Riley. Josh, last question for me. Uh, you know, we talked about obviously Jalen Hurts and and Oklahoma's you know success bringing in you know transfer quarterbacks. You were a little sarcastic about that earlier, but if in case people missed that, they have had two straight uh, quarterbacks who transferred there win the Heisman Trophy. Um, are our expectations just a sky high for Jalen Hurts? Uh, do do fans think that you know it's it's back to the college football playoff and and maybe beyond? And and is that realistic? You think? You know, Lincoln Riley has kind of made his own bed here because 
I think everybody was going to be fairly accepting that next year was going to be a dip. OU's losing four of their five offensive linemen, uh, you know, four, you know, guys that were all Americans at one point or another in their career. I mean, this is a really, really good group. You lose Kyler Murray. Uh, the secondary is still a total problem. The defense is going to be learning under a whole new regime. There were a lot of reasons that you could say this is, I mean, it's still Oklahoma. It, you still thought, okay, they could win the Big 12 if a few things go right. You know, it didn't seem that far-fetched, but he had bought himself a lot of currency and a little bit of leniency for next year because 2020's been the year for a couple seasons that people are kind of like, that team could be really special with the right quarterback. With Hurts, it all gets kicked up a notch. Everything is now beat Texas, go to the Big 12 championship, and then see about the playoff. I, I think – this is a year that still people, if, if they miss the playoffs, you know, they went 10-2, and 11-2, won the Big 12, but missed the playoffs. I don't think anybody's going to be mad about that because this team is very, very young, like I mentioned earlier. So there are things you have to qualify, but there's no question that Jalen Hurts ratchets up the expectations considerably. And I don't know how fair that is because Oklahoma's going to have to do some things differently than they've done the last four years. Because he's a different kind of quarterback. He's not going to sit back and throw it 40 times a game and that be the best avenue for him to succeed. So it, it, it's, it's going to be very interesting when we all get to watch the spring game, how that all looks offensively. Well, Tua versus Jalen Hurts for a national title would be the best thing that could happen in college football next year. Uh, last one, and I intentionally saved this for last in case you hang up on me. Josh is maybe the only real Indianapolis Colts fan I know, so I want to say thank you for uh, having your team not really show up last weekend. That is greatly appreciated from those of us in Kansas City. Um, but what I really wanted to ask you was, did you did you cover or were you at the game about three or four years ago when Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield threw for 9,000 yards? No, I wasn't there, but you can look through my Twitter feed. People talk about that game like, oh, it was this amazing thing. OU fans who literally won that game, watched Baker Mayfield have that amazing night, and Patrick Mahomes was unbelievable as well. And, you know, screw you for that comment. <laughs> but I told you we weren't going to win that game. You messaged yes. me that day when that matchup. I was like, no, no, we don't have that. Yeah. But that game was awful. It was the yeah. worst thing I've ever watched. There was – because, you know, you hear fans get mad. Oh, nobody's playing defense. Literally. There was no defense. There was a story in the Oklahoman that ran a few days later where Oklahoma's starting middle linebacker who had an awful night but is now an NFL player going into his second year in the NFL, his dad, who was an XOU, really, really good player for OU in the 80s, had literally sat him down and told him how unacceptable that performance was. Like, And he kind of like – he read his own son the riot act. Like, it was so – bad and no one could explain I mean everybody could explain it obviously two really good quarterbacks uh Oklahoma had a just a load of NFL guys on that offense that year so it was it's everybody it's amazing to me like the people that had to watch that game it amazes all of us that this gets written as like this great call this great moment in college football it was awful well, there is – when things do finally settle down for you, Brooke Pryor, who covered OU at that time, now is at the Kansas City Star. She did a podcast with Barry Trammell and somebody else that's at, at still covering OU. The week that the Chiefs played the Browns this year, they did a podcast about that game and talked to Baker and Mahomes about it. And, and they said a lot of the same things you did. Like, literally, it wasn't that teams weren't stopping drives. They weren't stopping plays in the second half of that game. So. 
Oh, it, it, it was, I mean, it really was. It was just like you were wondering, it wasn't a matter of if they would come up with a stop. It was how many plays until they score right. and how's that going to line up with the clock? Who's going to get the ball last? It was really a question of could Texas Tech get the ball enough times to tie it or is Oklahoma going to slow it down just enough to pinch off the end and then kind of win the game? So that was, that was really the only question was if Texas Tech would get a final possession. All right, Josh, appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. And, uh, Going to be interesting the the, uh, the next few months down in Norman. Absolutely. Enjoy it, guys. Thanks, right. Josh. Have a good one. Josh McQuistian, Sooner Scoop, and I think probably the most, like like you said, they've kind of been at the center of everything in college football since Clemson, Alabama. Ended. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, between between uh, Kyler Murray going pro, Jalen Hurts transferring, and then our, our Mizzou-related stories, we've had yeah. a lot of reasons to think about Oklahoma. And, like, I've gotten some indication part of what happened was Brian Odom. Like, there is a little bit of – I want to go take a job where people don't think I have a job because I'm coaching for my brother. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You know, both of these two guys, Alex Grinch and Brian Odom, we, we right. had cries of nepotism when Mizzou brought both of them in. Uh, Grinch is related to Gary Pinkle in some way. I don't really know how. Nephew. Nephew, yeah. there you go. Uh, and, and and now they're both, you know, uh, at one of the uh, more premier schools in the country. Yeah, so Missouri will replace him. They will replace Joe John Finley. I think there will be some shuffling. I don't know. We'll talk about that a little bit in the chamber tomorrow, kind of what we what we think could happen coaching staff-wise. And then, look, we're entering the offseason, the slower time, a couple basketball games a week, but, like, things are slowing down a little bit. So every week on the podcast, we're going to do something just kind of idiotic to end. Uh, Mitchell has no idea about this. I just thought of it driving out here. So every week we'll pick kind of one random thing i'll pick one random thing and catch you completely off guard with it but so look this is not a political stance i don't really care what donald trump gave clemson to eat but like if you got one meal at the white house what do you want the president to order you oh man see yeah you're totally you gotta burger King, you gotta though. go first because you put me on the spot here i don't okay. i was not prepared okay i mean like if it's fast food like just give me chick-fil-a i, I I'm, I'm good if i go to the white house and what I see is like a thousand dollars worth of Chick Fil A sandwiches. I'm kind of thinking this guy's pretty big time, man. I couldn't <laughs> buy a thousand dollars worth of Chick Fil A sandwiches, you know. So I'd be okay with that. Now, you know, I I don't know if I eat at the White House if my first choice is going to be fast food, <laughs> but if it is, you know, give me Chick Fil A. I've always felt Chick Fil A is. It's a little higher class of fast food. Sure, yeah. It, yeah. They, they've got waffle fries. That I've, seems to make it a bigger deal. In my like in that like two minute span, I've thought of like several different tiers of, of preferences. Like if if we're going with like the cheap fast food option, like I'm I'm pretty good with Wendy's. I like Wendy's. Yeah, Wendy's Chick fil A is better. Is really good. Uh, even better for me would be Whataburger. That might just be because of the rareness factor. We don't yeah. have it here. But if I if I went to, to but, get a Whataburger meal at the White House, that'd be cool. I mean, and that's a power move by the president because right. like. He's clearly flying. Oh, he's in flying that in from, You're not from yeah, from the deep south, DC. no doubt. Yeah, and then, but then I think if I, if I could pick like any food in the whole world, I wanted probably like a like a really fine seafood that I could really get, like a ceviche. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Just showing my uh, I, my my class here. I did actually to wrap this up. I listened to uh, podcast the Yahoo podcast on the way out here, of which your father is a part, and they did a fast food draft. And his third choice was a stuffed burrito from Taco Bell. <laughs> I can't 
really describe the number of problems I had with your family after hearing that. We really we ate very rarely ate fast food. My mom cooked a lot and and, and is pretty a pretty healthy eater. So maybe I don't know. I maybe I I know I know my dad. He doesn't he likes Taco Bell. Maybe that's like his road trip I guilty mean, pleasure that I didn't know about. He's just always eating stuffed burritos. I, there were some other things off. It wasn't like his first round pick, but. <laughs> it, this is going to need to be addressed at some point. I'm cool. With, I'm cool with the the beefy Frito burrito. I, that's exactly what he wanted, and <laughs> I, I we just had this discussion last week because I went out in the snowstorm to pick up some. Ended up getting Wendy's, but but there were only like two or three restaurants even open, and Taco Bell was one of them. I can't tell you the last time I ate Taco Bell. It's been minimum five years. Yeah, it hasn't been as long for me. Yeah, talk to <laughs> talk to me when you're 42. Tell me the last time you had Taco Bell. All right, sounds good. So, yeah, that's uh, the idiotic finish to the podcast. We'll try to come up with that every week. I, I feel like it's within our wheelhouse to be idiots once a week. Sure, yeah, especially yeah. about food. We like food. Yeah, so, uh, all right, thanks for listening. Um, we plan to be back next week. If the Chiefs beat the Patriots on Sunday night, Mitchell may just run Power Mizzou for a couple weeks because I may be off uh, celebrating, but... I don't know. I'll try to show up next Thursday. If not, uh, you know, you guys can deal with it. So thanks for listening.